Hello, I'm Derek Doak, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. For over 25 years, I've been serving the investment property industry, from preparing tax returns for property owners when I worked in public accounting, to creating and managing multi-million dollar syndications as a commercial broker. Throughout my career, I have always had a passion for learning and teaching what I have learned to others. This podcast is for commercial property owners and those who provide professional services to owners. My goal is to bring value to you through the sharing of best practices and industry knowledge. Each episode is geared towards providing knowledge and insights around topics and trends affecting property management, asset management, and investment management. Please enjoy this episode, and if I can be of any assistance, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at Derek at DokeMail.com. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investment Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Doak, and my co-host, Jordan Elliott. Welcome, Jordan. Well, today we're going to talk about the value of leases. I know last month's podcast and probably other podcasts that we've had, Jordan, we've we've talked a lot about that. I mean, you and I are in the trenches every day uh, working with our teams, with our clients uh, around their tenants. And most of the things that we deal with are the leases, right? The lease is the governing document that we govern and steward that asset for. And so I we both discussed this and thought it'd be a good idea for us to just kind of talk a little bit about the leases um, that are out there, the types of leases, what to look out for. Uh, and also just kind of how does that fit into the life cycle of the lease, right? Whether it's acquisition or renewals or a new lease or disposition. Um, and then you mentioned right before we got on the, the call here, you know, who you're buying it from is very important mm-hmm. because what's their motive of putting together the deal, right? I mean, that That's was right. a... Uh, really interesting to think about. And when you said that, I was thinking about one of the deals I'm working on right now is a developer created a little strip center and it's got a drive through with a national tenant and a couple others. And those leases are a lot different than if you own the property and you're going to put them in the property. So um, so those are things to look out for as well. But uh, but again, welcome, Jordan. Welcome to the show. As usual, I know you're in D.C. for our annual NAI conference, which is always a good one. Um, disappointed I can't make it this year, but I've got NAOP this week, and then I got the CCIM governance meeting next week. And so uh, a, a lot of education going on, and and uh, it's going to be a busy uh, week for both of us, for sure. That's right. Well, good to see you, Derek. Looking forward to this conversation. All right. Well, let's kick it off. I, I, I think the, the first thing I kind of want to go through is just, you know, kind of outlining the various types of leases that are out there and what's most common. Um, when you think of like a gross lease, you know, you don't see as many gross leases as you have in the past. Uh, but you know, older older properties have a lot of gross leases, and inside that gross lease is basically it's just one flat fee. It's what the tenant will pay. Um, they're not going to pay any of the additional expenses or anything else that falls on you as the owner. So the gross lease is pretty straightforward, where they're just going to pay their rent. And then you as the owner are going to pay for your taxes and your common area expenses and everything else that goes along with it. Um, and so it's kind of a basic lease. Um, from there, we go into the net leases, which I think what you and I deal more, more with mm-hmm. uh, is on the net lease side. Uh, you've got your single net lease, you know, that is the just the base uh, plus uh, taxes. You got your double net lease, which is going to be your base taxes uh, and your insurance. Um, and then you're going to have your triple net leases, which is the most common uh, that I see, and that has to do with you cover everything, you know, your base, your taxes, your insurance, uh, and also the maintenance fees associated with it. Uh, but inside there, I think it's important 
for us to discuss a little bit more about those leases because even though they say they're triple net lease, sometimes there's not things in there that should be in there. Um, municipality expenses, uh, assessments. Um, if you're in Arizona or some of the other states that have a sales receipts tax, I mean, there's there's certain taxes that sometimes don't get included. Um, and it's important that you're looking at those within the leases. So um, maybe talk a little bit about what you look for and what you do um, as it relates to the leases, Jordan. Absolutely. And um, it was funny as you were you were talking, Derek, I remembered a conversation I had with one of your fellow CCIMs who was uh, kind of helping us zoom back and think about lease structures. And as you said, there's gross leases, which are kind of flat fee. You know, this is this is your all in cost as a tenant. And a, on the other side, everything you receive as the owner. And then there's modified gross, which is basically everything else. Like a triple net lease really falls into a modified gross category, because then to your question, it's really about the nuances of you know, what are the specific things that the owner is being reimbursed for? It could be taxes, could be insurance, could be utilities to some extent. And that's, of course, the heart of our conversation today is really understanding how is that lease structured in every individual case such that you know what you're going to be receiving as the landlord, what the, the tenant will be paying. And we see enormous varieties in this thing. Uh, it could be based on property type. I mean, obviously an office lease is going to look a lot different than a retail lease, uh, but there are variations even within those property types. And so, I mean, gosh, the first thing you do is exactly what you, you suggested, Derek, which is you got to dig into the lease to understand those specific terms. And the, the, the thing that I would just maybe start our conversation with, uh, which is primary for us as property managers is understanding what caps might exist on a given category. Because you, you might say, hey, this is great. I'm going to get reimbursed for all of the utilities at this property. But if there's a cap and you have, let's say you have a cap on water. Well, if you've got a cellular store, that's not going to come into play. doesn't matter. But if you've got a restaurant, it can make a huge difference. And so the conversation we frequently find ourselves in with owners of triple net leases is what are the caps and how are those caps actually playing out in a given property? And frankly, if you're a tenant, you want the cap. And if you're the owner, you don't. And so there, there becomes one of the hearts of the negotiation, whether it's upfront in the new lease, whether it's at renewal time, or you know, it could be um, a, a breaking point for somebody to actually leave. So that kind of takes us down a little bit of a path. But when you bring this up and I think about our day-to-day, Man, hey, caps Jordan, come in. Can I jump yeah. in really on the cap right there? We yeah. were just talking about uh, yeah. because I'm dealing with this right now. Cumulative versus non-cumulative caps. Yep. And when you talk about Good. caps, I think it's important for everyone to understand that there is a cumulative cap as well. So if you buy a property from a developer and they set that rate of what your common area expenses are, and then you only have like a 5% per year cap, mm -hmm. you're stuck. So if you have a big year of expenses, it doesn't matter. You're, you're eating it. So yep. same with uh, base years in office. Yeah. Yep. And so cumulative, having a cumulative cap versus a non-cumulative is important to understand that because some years you won't have any increase and then that will yep. carry over to the next year. But if you have, you have a non-cumulative cap or I mean a cumulative cap, then, then you're not going to be able to you know, protect yourself. Well, this is core for, I think the broader conversation of how, commercial real estate owners are positioning themselves. If you're buying a new property and it's going to be a new acquisition, you got to understand where you stand with those things. Did the developer put in those caps? Are they, do they have cumulative clauses? What does that look like when you're starting? Or alternatively, if you're owning a property and 
you know, maybe it's time for a, a whole series of renewals. That's your opportunity as a landlord to renegotiate those things. You know, do you reset those caps so that you're starting fresh? Do you, you know, if you can eliminate those caps, those are huge considerations for the for the properties as we go. Yeah, and and that and that and that really helps in the valuation. So when you're looking oh, yeah. at the property, uh, and you're looking at an acquisition of a property, there may be, and I've done this where there's properties that the leases really aren't that good, and you know you can get better leases because it's a great location, and uh, you know that the tenants will want to be there. If they don't, somebody else does. That's where you're going to make your cash flow and your money and your valuation is 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 in that lease and be able to negotiate uh, those whether it's at the beginning or on the renewal. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we have so many clients who, you know, they might be in a pension and exchange and especially in this market, it's hard to find properties to acquire. So they'll kind of take what they get and then we'll find out the surprises together. And like you and I were talking about, as we started, if you're buying a property, that's a new development, you're, you're going to get some interesting things there because the developer has tried to set the property up to look most attractive for acquisition. If it was a development to sell. And that can often mean that, the, the face rate of the lease is very high, but they've built in all kinds of things into that face rate. Like they may have just provided the tenant a completely finished space, uh, the tenant not having any expenses with respect to their improvements. And when it, that lease comes back around from renewal, there's, there's very little likelihood you're going to be able to match that rate versus something like you're referring to, which is maybe a legacy property and the leases could be undervalued, you know? And so your, your project is going to be very different, which is to, to lift that rate, maybe move them from gross to triple net. You know, I'm working on a property that we're going to take on right now that's been owned for you know upwards of 40 years by the same person. And there's a mix of gross and triple net leases. The owner has been slowly trying to move them to triple net, but they're not done. So as we join the fold as advisors, part of our role is going to be to finish that migration from gross leases to triple net, which will really increase the value of the property, not to mention the cash flow that the owner is achieving. Yeah. And, and, and it takes time. It takes time. You're not going to do it on the first renewal. And uh, and that and that also talks about the timing of the renewals, you know, on mm -hmm. the acquisition. If you see all the leases are coming out, it's a new development and they all are on, you know, five year with five year renewals. You've got a lot of leases coming due in that year five. You know, that 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 makes it a little um, interesting scary. As, you, as you look at the uh, at the valuation, um, you know, within the leases, I mean, I. I I know we mentioned a little bit about this, but one of the things that uh, I, I kind of wanted to bring up under the triple net leases is, is the idea of management and admin fees. You know, yeah. it's, it, it, this is one of the areas that some tenants will try to get that removed from you as a landlord. And then person who owns the property saying, oh, I'm doing the property management myself anyway, so I don't care. Um, but you got to remember, if you're going to sell that property, you're going to want to have that in there because most people that look at it is going to look at that as, the cost of them owning that asset. And if they're not collecting that, you know, four or five, 6% of those fees of the amount that they can collect on those uh, gross receipts, then they're going to look at that and take it off the value of the property because it's an expense and any negotiations on the buy side, they're going to bring that up and say, Oh, management yep. fees aren't included. So we got to take that 5% out. Um, and so it's again, posturing that posturing that property. Um, we are in times right now where, you know, interest rates are rising and have risen quite fast. And you've got merchant developers who build for these QSRs and other types of uh, retail, uh, other types of businesses that are going to put together leases that are going to be aggressive for the 
tenant because they need the cash flow for doing the deals. So there'd be mm -hmm. some areas that they'll probably give in that they wouldn't give in if the market was hot. So uh, I would say it's more important now than ever uh, to make sure you're engaging both your attorney who's looking at your information, but also whomever you're going to work with on the brokerage side, as far as leasing and property management and making sure they're doing a deep, thorough dive into those leases, because you're going to want to make sure you understand what it is you have and maybe not for this next 12 months, but mm -hmm. after that, right? Some of these leases may have a, a six month out clause. It could be a 10 year term, but they can give six months notice anytime in those 10 years. Well, that's really a six month lease. So, right. you know, the, they're just little things that kind of get put in these lease documents uh, that might get overlooked because it presented to you as a 10 year lease versus a six month, you know, out clause. Yeah, I think you raise a host of good points there just to, to add on to them. Back to your comment about uh, management fees and admin fees being included in uh, the leases as reimbursable expenses. I think that's a huge topic. I'm working with a bunch of uh, owner operators. We In our last podcast, we talked about the difference between landlords and owners. And the landlord is that you know somebody who owns the property is also operating it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, as you mentioned, Oftentimes, those leases don't include any management fee or, or administrative fee reimbursement because the, the landlord is the operator. They are the property manager, if you will. But you're exactly right, Derek, that as uh, people like us come into the fold or if those properties are going to be traded, those, those clauses are extremely important. And I would emphasize that, you know, as a property manager, we are going to charge a management fee and we are going to have administrative expenses that we're passing through to the property. So... If you're a landlord or a property owner that has professional management, I would say it's it's essential to have both of those pieces included in your leases. Um, and I'd, I'd go for 5% on the management fee, um, try to avoid those caps to our previous conversation. And then, you know, something on the admin fee, you know, $1,000 a month. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because it depends on the side of the property, but you need something in there for admin because we're going to pass through. Uh, you know, office expenses and whatnot from, from the management company. The interesting thing, and I think I mentioned this last time too, is that tenants are savvy enough that even if that's in there and the owner is operating the property and acting as the property manager, they'll push back and say, you can't, you can't pass that through to me. You're the owner, right? But the minute that the third party comes in, think about that. You know, now that landlord shifting to owner, they can focus on higher things, either personally or professionally, let us do our job. And that's an, that's an expense that's reimbursed if those leases have been created properly. So that that's an extremely good point. I'm glad you brought that one up. Well, I, you know, we could, you and I can just go on and on on these. I mean, I, I think a podcast just on the, uh, the gotchas um, yeah. would be a, would be a, a good one as well. I mean, because there's a, a lot of little nuances that I've seen over the years that have cost uh, landlords a lot of money. Um, I mean, right. off the top of my head, I, the one I think about the most is like assessments. When there's an assessment brought mm -hmm. on a property, if there's a lid put on it by the local jurisdiction for marketing or whatever they're going to do in the area, that can't be passed through on a lot of leases. So when you're talking about the triple net leases we're talking about here, when you're talking about the taxes, you want to make sure it's, you know, local municipality, federal, state, anything associated with a tax or an assessment on that property could be passed through. Um, you know, that's important to note uh, when you're doing uh, doing your leases, uh, the non-cumulative versus cumulative, that makes a big impact. That makes a real big impact when you have a property for 20 years and you fixed it, you know, and you set that base year and you talked about it like modified gross leases, um, the same thing. When you set that base year, you're set. Um, so you got to make sure you're putting all the expenses in there that are related to it. And it has to be related to the asset 
um, because I am dealing with a situation just like you mentioned, where the owner uh, wants to take the property and manage it themselves, even though the administration and management fees are included. And the tenant saying, look, if you manage it yourself, I'm not going to pay that fee. Right. Because yep. that fee is in there for you to have an, uh, an actual cost go into a third party and take care of it. So um, now whether or not you work with us or anybody else in the market and you're doing leases and you're going to manage it yourself, at least get that language in there. So if you sell that asset, it's a value. It's a value that you it can It becomes take. a value. So mm -hmm. um, even though you say you're going to manage it yourself, you don't want to include it. I, that's one of those areas that's going to, you know, you cap that out. If you take 5%. And let's say it's $30,000 a year or $40,000 a year and take the cap rate, whatever the cap rate at the time is selling, that's how much you're leaving on the table. Yeah. You know, that's a few hundred thousand dollar multiple. I mean, it's not, it's not small to, to, to negotiate for those things. Um, so it's important to, to push that. Um, I did want to add on some of the other leases that, you know, we see, you know, you see like percentage of rent in retail, you know, you'll see that added where they get a percentage of the, uh, the rent that comes in. Uh, off of the uh, the tenant there uh, you've got they call it a graduated lease you know all, all that means is that every year there's going to be an increase or every couple of years there's an increase um, so that's just the increases in your base rent um, but the technical term is a graduated lease um, sale leasebacks I think we'll start seeing some more of those now just because of what the times we're in you've got medical professionals that have offices they own and they own the property and they want to lease it back so if you're engaged in a sale leaseback, you got to make sure that you're being taken care of as the buyer uh, and understand what it is you're actually buying um, and, uh, and and make sure that it works for you as the acquirer. And if you're selling, the same thing. Yeah, just be fair. Just be fair. I, I think that's, I think, you know, I always work great with my attorneys that are very much look at it from both sides, right? You know, the idea of trying to get one over on somebody, I just, 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 turns my stomach. I hate when you're in a negotiation and you're with a client and that client wants to try to screw over the other person and get the last nickel. So like, that's just not the way I like to be engaged with clients. It's got to be fair all the way around. Um, you know, so uh, I'd say, look at, look at that. Uh, build the suit leases is another one, right? You see more and more of those where, uh, you know, somebody will have a piece of land and they'll either do a ground lease and just lease the land to the person to build up. Uh, or the group to build up, or they'll do a build the suit and say, what do you want here? You see a fair amount of that in industrial. You see a fair amount of that in retail, especially like pad development where you're doing a standalone retail. And then the last one I had on here was subleasing. Um, I think the office is a lot of subleases going on in the office where as a sublease, what you're looking for is what's the, re what's your responsibility if you're buying that property and it has a sublease on it? You know, what, what is, what is, who does what, who covers what, and who's staying on. I do not, and I'll repeat, I do not allow the tenant to skirt the guarantee in a sublease. I just don't. And um, I've lost deals because of it, but I've seen people get burned by letting that main tenant step away when they do a sublease and then put it all on the subtenant. And again, times are tough, so they want the cash flow and they put them in there. And then all of a sudden, two years later, that tenant doesn't perform and they have no one to go after. So 
Um, I know I threw a lot out there, Jordan, so I'll let you grab. Oh man. (laughs) So many, I'll, I'll, I'll pick three. Let's see if I can do them all. The first is that I want to go back to your comment about percentage rents. Uh, we've seen a huge uptick in percentage rents in our managed portfolio. Uh, sometimes they were new leases that were negotiated during the pandemic, you know, during or or shortly after the pandemic. Sometimes they were uh, kind of workouts that were put in place. But percentage rent went from being, you know, an occasional thing to an extremely common thing within our managed portfolio. And so, you know, for our listeners, whether they're looking at acquiring property or, uh, you know, maybe they're doing some new leasing right now or renewals, whatever it is, percentage rent is not necessarily a bad thing, but it does take some special considerations. You know, if you're buying a property and you're going to get some percentage rent leases, you really want to make sure you see that gross sales history so that you can, you know, fairly and accurately calculate that percentage rent. You know, as a property manager, as a third-party property manager that, that does this a lot, it takes extra work to make sure that you're doing that analysis and making sure that, that things are built accurately and fairly. So um, again, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. We have a couple of tenants who have done very, very well and are exceeding their base rent and getting into that, that kind of percentage rent over the break point, we call it. Um, and that's fine. You know, it's the, a, a decent kind of lease. So anyway, something to look for. Guarantees. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was on my list to talk about today. Uh, I would say that in very rare situations, there are very few exceptions, let me put it that way, where we would not advocate for a guarantee of some kind. Personal guarantee, if it's any kind of mom and pop corporate guarantee, if there's enough of a kind of substantial entity behind something, but you want them. And the last couple of years, you know, the last three years or, or so, we've had a lot of those guarantees come into place where tenants have vacated and we're chasing down money um, and you just don't want to get left with nothing. So the guarantee is a big deal. Uh, the last one, somewhat different than the other two, is to think about the way that increases in the leases have been negotiated, whether it's through options or if there's kind of that, that stepped increase that you mentioned. Uh, CPI increases were, were basically dead. We, we, ne- we haven't seen CPI increases in most leases for a long, long time. It's back popular again, because obviously CPI has been high. But whatever it is, if you're looking at um, acquiring a property in those leases, you really need to look at what are the options. If there's any stepped increases that are negotiated, that's a really big deal. Because obviously that changes your value significantly. If you know 3% increases were negotiated in a 2% CPI world, that made a lot of sense, but it doesn't make sense now, right? So it's almost like your value is going down year over year over year. Or maybe you have something like a market rate um, option. Well, that's great, you know, but what are the ways that you're going to be able to determine that market rate and institute it with the tenant? So just to throw some more out there, Derek, there's a lot of these really interesting considerations that need to be known and taken into account. Yeah, no, it's it's a uh, guarantee. Uh, right when you said that, I was thinking I was just engaged in a project where they're actually going to do a letter of credit from the bank for the guarantee because it's a fairly new company um, doing really well, great financials. But uh, we basically let the landlord know and the ownership group that we would recommend getting at least six month letter of credit for that rent in case something happens. Um, mm-hmm. And the letter of credit doesn't cost them as much on the tenant side as well. Um, and it kind of caps their potential exposure. So instead of having a free-for-all guarantee, they basically went with the letter of credit um, that's backed by the bank so they can just basically cash it in if they go to default after uh, 60 days. So um, so there's there's ways to look at it. And, and right now with the market, investment sales are down. I mean, we all know that they've dropped considerably. If you're a broker 
and you're out there and you're trying to work with clients and find opportunities for yourself, because right now it's going to be survival mode. It's going to be, where can I provide value to my clients and earn a fee? And I think one of the areas is dealing with leases, you know, helping your clients understand what they truly have and get that asset ready for it. They, if they, if they miss the sales window, they call it the sales window in this last uptick, they know it could be another three to five to six years before they can take it to market and get what they're looking to get. Why not take that time to help them get those leases in order, right? And that's a consultative fee that you could charge. You know, and if you're with a, a firm that has a property management group that has leasing expertise, work with them. I'm sure there's a way that you can put together a relationship to help those clients or prospects you're working with, because that's where we're, we survive during these types of times is providing that consultative basis because there's a value in there. There's a value you bring into the table and people will pay for that service. And so, um, you know, this is just one of those areas that I know you and I talk about it and I know with your brokers and our brokers, the same thing. I mean, there's just a, there's a lot of expertise in various asset classes that we're trying to provide our clients and say, look, let's yep. look at those properties. Let's go through those leases. Let's get you ready for that next cycle versus sit back and go, oh my God, we missed the window. Well, yep. let's create a better window. Let's create a bigger window. And, and I think, leasing is is the gold that's why i always talk about you know maximizing your asset value prior to a sale it doesn't just happen within a couple months you want to plan for that you want to plan for that and and leasing is where you're going to get that biggest value i didn't add two things there um number one is that this this whole idea of due diligence services is actually something that we provide so when we have clients that are looking at new properties we'll we'll offer that to them to look at every single lease and we run it through a kind of an abbreviated abstracting process to really make sure that whatever they've received from the selling party, you know, performas, you know, financials, whatever it is, we'll just, you know, take a kind of independent look at that and make sure that the lease terms that we see match what is built into those assumptions. Um, that's number one. Number two, this is slightly different, but we talked about it in our prep is the value of estoppels. If you're looking at a new property, getting an estoppel, which for those of you out there who don't know, I mean, estoppel really means summary. That's what it is. And in other words, it's a summary of the lease that's been uh, reviewed and signed off by the tenants to make sure that anything that's going on that might be, you know, the way the lease has been administered, things that are pertaining to the lease, open items on the lease, all of those are documented and agreed to uh, before a new owner takes possession of the property. Estoppels are huge because you could have all kinds of things out there in the wind that a tenant thinks like, like you mentioned, I've got an HVAC unit that's dead on my roof and the owner said they were going to replace it. That's not done yet. Well, sure. You want to know that if you're going to be the new owner of the property and the tenant is expecting that. Um, there also could be negotiations in progress for either, you know, a new lease or renewal, you know, the execution of an option, lots of different things out there that you want to make sure are very, very clear before you start. So make sure you know that term and you get those executed. Those estoppels are a big deal. Yeah. And a lot of times they just get slid in there after the fact in the purchase sale agreement and say, oh, here's an estoppel. And then, and they, and they don't get done. They still close the deal. Um, right. You know, I know it's off topic, but I'm going to add it anyways on the estoppel. Make sure you interview the tenants. Oh, yeah. I was actually going to mention I, that's part of our I, due diligence. I, just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many times I've gone in to help a client acquire something and the, the seller's like, I, I really don't want you to talk to the tenants. That to me is a red flag. That is a huge red flag 
Um, now, not everything a tenant says, they're going to posture themselves too. If they know the property for sale, let's be clear. A lot of tenants, I shouldn't say a lot. There's going to be a few tenants that are going to try to leverage that into getting something they've been asking for, even though they're not obligated to receive it um, via the contract, which is the lease. Um, and they might talk bad about the landlord. I, I get that. That happens. But I'm primarily looking for just really understanding their business as a whole, right? And what it's like to be there as a whole. Do they have, have they had a lot of water leaks? Have they had, you know, any issues with people coming through with environmental checking? You know, all, all kinds of things just to, just to get a feel for it. Um, because again, that's what you're buying. That's what your client's buying is that asset. So um, part of your estoppel process um, and I've picked up estoppels in person, typically, where it's you go out there, they get the estoppel, you walk through it, and then when they give it back to you, you kind of walk through and reiterate the things that are on the estoppel, just to just to make sure and just to clarify. I mean, your client is spending a lot of money buying this property, and they have investors, they have partners, all kinds of things. It's our responsibility, and whoever you're working with, uh, again, whether it's us or anybody else, they should be taking that extra step to make sure they're protecting you and protecting, uh, you know, your asset. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes me think of so many more things in the due diligence process, like, you know, interviewing tenants is part of what we can do for a client on their behalf. But your point is exactly right. That more generally, somebody should be doing that to make sure that there's a relationship with the tenant. And, you know, as property managers, we always don't want to know, okay, the lease says that, you know, maintaining the HVAC unit is the responsibility of the tenant, but what's actually been happening. A lot of times, the owner, previous owner, or the, the selling party has been maintaining the HVAC unit and billing it back to the tenant. Great. You know, that, that could be awesome because it might bring some consistency and, and the records might be on hand, but you want to know that. Or has the tenant actually been maintaining it themselves? Or is the tenant responsible and nobody has any idea what's actually been happening on the HVAC unit? You know, these, these nuances are, are really fundamental because, you know, are you going to walk in with an end-of-life HVAC unit that's not been maintained and so it's just a ticking time bomb. Or are you walking in on the end of life unit that's been meticulously maintained and you know you've got another five or 10 years of useful life left? Yeah. So, so many important things that, that go into that kind of like analysis of what's actually happening on the ground of the lease terms. Yeah. I, I, I'm having flashbacks of grease traps and in type one hoods. I mean, when a landlord doesn't do it themselves and build back and they rely on the tenant to do it, I mean, I've I think I can think on both hands how many fires I've had to deal with inside type one hoods for so much grease going in. Uh, our property in McMinnville, Oregon, I remember that uh, getting a phone call and I was like, oh my God, because uh, it was one of those leases where they, the tenant was supposed to take care of it. So, um, and also estoppels, there's language in your lease. So the other thing is making sure the language in the lease says that they have to respond to an estoppel request. Mm. Um, and again, sometimes depending on the sophistication of the tenant, you'll see that kind of marked out as they don't have to, right. Mm -hmm. And you need it for when you're getting financing on the property, you're getting it, you know, you need estoppels. So the estoppel language needs to be in there. Um, I guess at the highest level, Jordan, I guess what my goal was on this, uh, podcast was just to, to talk about the nuances of the lease, but just realize mm -hmm your values in the lease. So bring a team in to help you with that. Right. And again, yeah. we're never on here to saying you got to work with NAI and us. I mean, it's, yeah. we want this to be a value proposition for those who work so hard to get a piece of real estate and it's hard as hell to keep it. That's the hardest part is making sure you can run it, manage it 
um, and take care of it. And if it's not with a third party and do it yourself, we're hoping that some of these will help you kind of find your way through um, to protect yourself um, and not get taken advantage of. But uh, uh, but there's a lot to it, right? And, and it's part of that building that team, you know, put that team around you of experts that, that actually treat your asset like it's their own um, and make sure that they're with you, you know, every step of the way. And don't try to cut corners. When it comes to leases, do not cut corners just to get a deal done. Really look at them, really dive into them. Um, and, uh, and that's what's going to build that value of that real estate. Zooming back up, I'm, I'm really glad you're taking us back to that point because you and I can go down rabbit holes that I think are interesting, but they they also potentially can distract from the key point. And there's three I'd make. Uh, and you make this point really well, Derek, and have over our, our mini podcasts. If you're buying commercial real estate, what you're really buying are leases. The value is in the lease. Yeah, there's there's physical plant, you know, and that's that has value. But at the end of the day, the biggest value is in the lease. No, never forget that, number one. Number two, as a third party, what we do is lease administration. That's what we do as property managers. We talked about lots of other things that happen. You know, yes, we have to deal with the, the uptick in homelessness. Yes, we have to, you know, replace HVAC units. No, what we really do at the heart of the matter is we administer the leases. That's point number two. Um, uh oh, I lost number three. <laughs> I always do that. I always have. I have three points, and I can't remember the third one. <laughs> well, it could be the emotional aspect of leasing, right? I mean, it's. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't the, know. It's. Uh, it's the governing. It's the governing body of the document, and it's not personal. Yeah. And this is what I tell yeah. anybody that I train in property management, and that comes into property management. Don't get into an emotional relationship with the tenant as a business get into emotional relationship with the lease and that's what you adhere to. And it goes both ways. Yeah. So look at yeah. it from both ways. Yeah. That helped me remember my third point, which is that we have to remember that leases are legal contracts, right? That's what it is. And it falls under the, the uh, general category of contract law. And so one thing that you, you've referred to a couple of times that I think we should make it explicit is that an attorney's role in this is fundamental. Attorneys draft leases. Commercial real estate brokers don't draft leases, right? Commercial brokers can use lease forms, but at the end of the day, an attorney needs to be drafting the lease. And so uh, that's just a general thing to say about, you know, somebody who's looking at commercial real estate is remember that you're getting involved in contract law and you need either directly or through someone, you know, a group like us, a recommendation to a really good commercial real estate attorney who can help with the administration of those leases. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you don't know what you don't know. And I, and I think that's kind of when I think of leases, I mean, there's still plenty I'm learning when I go through leases because every asset class, you mentioned this earlier, every asset uh, class is different, right? The lease for an totally office building is going to be different than an industrial park versus a trailer park uh, parking for, you know, Amazon trailers. I mean, there's just, there's, there's just different leases for each one and you can't apply one lease to each asset class. You really got to understand kind of what the uh, what's needed on there um when i said trailer park parking i just thought of environmental on leases that's the other mm. one too oh, is yeah. environmental can be it can really come to get you because uh you want to make sure if you're looking at a property that you go through and see if it's been part of a hot zone if there's been anything mm. that's close by there right we've had properties with a lot of smear issues on retail because they're corner locations and maybe Kitty corner to that is a gas station that's been there for 50 years, 60 years. And the Puget Sound is on the other side of our property. So you got the smear factor of, you know, groundwater traveling below. So, you know, phase ones are important and any environmentalists 
are important and the housing of environmental or toxic waste on premises is another big part of the lease. When you have an office or retail or something that might have a medical use or something like that, um, you know, we, you can say dry cleaners, but I don't know if, I mean, dry cleaners to me is, is those are very difficult to deal with. And we've had multiple cleanups, a little 1200 oh, square yeah. foot space and a hundred thousand square foot operation or a retail center um, can take it down. Well, we've had multiple millions of dollars of cleanups on some of those. And, uh, and so environmentally in the leases make, see who's on the hook for that, see who's yeah. responsible in there. So um, yeah, it's a legal document. As you said, Jordan, there's a lot to it. Uh, and there's a lot of places where you could get hurt as the landlord and it doesn't feel like you're going to get hurt at the time of doing it. But when it comes time, when you have to actually enforce one of those clauses in the lease, you'll be happy that you took the extra time, had the extra expense and did it right. Absolutely. Yeah. Th those legal fees can be brutal up front, but they, they can very much pay themselves back if you avoid just one of these kinds of issues you're describing. So, and it increases um, the value get, of your asset. So when your broker goes oh, yeah. to sell that asset for you, now you've got an ironclad lease. I mean, that, that, that right there is going to, that's going to make a multiple difference. You spend 10, 15, 20, 30,000 on legal. That's going to bring you a hundred, 200, $300,000 back in value. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you look at it as part of the investment. So, um, well, and alternatively, if, if you've got a bunch of lease forms that are just, you know, leaving all kinds of gaps, that just comes right off the value too. Yes, absolutely. Again, we're back to maximizing value, maximizing value. <laughs> so, um, all right, Jordan, I know you got to get down to the conference. So I want to, I want to get you out of there and then, um, you know, anybody have any questions, uh, having to do with leasing, you know, Jordan and I are, are more than happy to, to, to jump on a call or have a conversation with you. Um, appreciate the emails that we get uh, supporting what we do and giving us topics of things to discuss. And uh, we're heading into the holidays. So we'll have to find something for November. Um, this was, this was Halloween one. So hopefully it's not too, uh, we're not too spooky. So we, uh, you know, we didn't scare anybody off or put on the scary faces. We're more of a, a, a Disney Halloween display here. Um, more so than, uh, you know, the real scary one, but, uh, you know, and then next month we'll have the, uh, we'll have to have the Turkey, the Turkey cast, <laughs> you know, to find out what's going to be the, the, the big meal, uh, for, uh, for November. But, uh, anyways, any, any last words, Jordan, before we jump off? Uh, just a comment about distribution, not, not about Halloween or Thanksgiving, but, um, <laughs> you know, I know, I know this podcast goes out to our distribution list, but we also both are very active on LinkedIn. So I would encourage any of our listeners to pick up the additional content that comes from both Derek and me directly, but also from our ref uh, respective firms. There's a lot of good things that we're putting out that are, you know, adjacent to the things that you and I talk about, or, or maybe touching on different topics within the commercial real estate industry, or, or even on, you know, running businesses and kind of best practices across the board. So I don't think we'd mentioned that before, but LinkedIn is a really um, utilized platform for both of us. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, uh, and, and I try to put more stuff out there just like you do on other topics. Um, and uh, it's, it's hard to get it all in under, under one. And these, we try to really focus in on property owners and, uh, and things that have to do with the, uh, the commercial real estate holdings uh, on this one. Exactly. For sure. So, all right, with that, I'm going to let everybody go back to doing what they do for a living. Uh, we appreciate everybody's time, comments, and feedback. And uh, we look forward to uh, the comments and we will, I guess, See you on the next podcast uh, next month's issue. So everyone have a great day and Jordan, enjoy the conference. Thank you. Thank Take care. Thanks everybody.
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you should have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at Derek at dokemail.com. Again, thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.